This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and to help them succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, Rachel and I will be talking about two distinct career paths within the field of structural engineering. Rachel will talk about the advantages working for a manufacturer, while I'll be talking about the key things to look out for those in a structural engineering uh, design firm. So we'll discuss the pros and cons, growth aspects, and opportunities offered within each career path because there's a lot of structural engineering career paths in the structural engineering industry. I'm your co-host, Matt Picardle. And I'm your co-host, Rachel Holland. Now let's jump into the conversation of the week. Before we go on here, I would like to take a minute to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Menard USA. Do you have projects where you are faced with building on soft or loose ground? Does it seem like all the good sites are taken and you're always building on poor soils that are a challenge for conventional foundation approaches? Menard may be able to help. As a specialty ground improvement contractor, Menard works nationally and internationally providing design-build ground improvement solutions at sites with problematic soils. Typical projects include warehouses, buildings, material storage piles, embankments, roadways, port facilities, storage tanks, platforms, and more. In many cases, ground improvement is less costly than traditional approaches such as removal and replacement or piling systems. Menard works closely with civil, structural, and geotechnical engineers to minimize foundation costs for wide ranges of soil conditions, structure types, and loading conditions. To learn more about Menard USA or for help on your next project, please visit www.menardusa.com. That's www.menardusa.com. Hey, so we're going to be talking about some different career paths between the private structural design industry, typical ones where you design buildings, but also another career path that's pretty interesting as well, the manufacturing industry. So I'll be talking about my side and then Rachel will be talking about the manufacturing side. But as a quick intro, some background for me, I have pretty much graduated with a structural engineering degree and then jumped into the private design industry where I design buildings. And that's something that I'm still doing every day. So I personally don't have other experiences in, in different industries, but there's a lot of career paths in the structural engineering industry. So that's something that we wanted to discuss in today's episode. And Rachel, can you give us some background on yours? Just my you know, short background is I uh, graduated with a degree in architectural engineering and knew that I wanted to go the manufacturing route. So in order to do that, I first, based on some advice I got from more experienced engineer, uh, first went into the design world. And I worked in that for about seven years, long enough to get my PE and gain some experience, and then take that over to the manufacturing side of things. So I joined Simpson about seven years in. And throughout my career here, I've been able to use the 
seven years of experience in the design firms, it helps me to basically help my customers now. So uh, a little bit different path. And I've had a few different roles within Simpson. So I've kind of experienced different uh, engineering roles within the company. And then now we can, if you want, just jump into all the different questions. We're going to pick each other's brains. Yeah, I had a lot of questions because uh, I know some colleagues that are in the manufacturing industry and there seems to be a lot of different roles for uh, engineers, practicing engineers, even new engineers. So just as a quick background, Simpson Strong Tie, what type of company are they and what type of things do they do? We manufacture building components. So our mission is to help people build safer, stronger structures, right? So we employ actually a lot of very different types of engineers. So obviously, like as a civil structural architectural background, that seems pretty obvious when you're manufacturing building components. But we also have a lot of other types of engineers that work for us. We have a lot of mechanical engineers. We have a materials engineer. We have chemists. But we have a kind of a vast array of engineering knowledge that's all within our company. It's pretty cool. So you've worked both sides. So what do you think are the pros and cons of, you know, for a typical design firm versus getting into the manufacturing side? I don't know if I would necessarily focus on like the pros and cons. They're very different. So when you are in the design firm, you're working, you know, with that team, right? So the architects, the civil people, the people within your own company to create this like project that at the end is just going to be this big finished project, right? Whereas when you enter the manufacturing industry, it's, you know, same end goal kind of, but like you're just looking at it from a different angle. So if you simplify and just look at our wood connectors as an example, like you're really, really focusing in on a tiny part of that whole project, right? So like we're really focused in on like where that beam is hanging off that other beam. Whereas like you're dealing with like all of the seismic and lateral and like the whole building, we're able to kind of like focus in on it and really like master that one particular piece. Simpson sort of opened my eyes to things that I didn't even really like know about in college or put any thought into while I was designing buildings. Like for example, like when I was in R&D and I would work with our engineers that build dyes. It's such like a, a 3D concept of how things get punched and at the end they're what you want them to be. Like even just that whole process. I had never put an ounce of thought into that whole process when I was a design engineer. You know, so you see things from a different angle. You see how things are made. It's different experience. But the other cool part about it that I don't have to walk away from is I still get to work with architects, builders, engineers, all the people that like are on your team, you know, like I still get to work with all of them because they're our customers. So that's actually that's really a, a cool part of it that I feel like I didn't have to like leave that. Simpson Strong Tie has all these products and they're coming out with new products all the time too. What does that process look like? And the structural engineers, engineers in general, what place do they have in that whole process of getting oh, here's a new idea for maybe a connector, a hanger, a new lateral system. What does that whole process look like and where do structural engineers fit into that process? It's pretty in-depth, again, because, you know, when you're creating something that people are going to trust and use in their homes or their buildings or whatever, you know, it has to be safe. It has to be tested properly. It has to be load rated correctly. This is another big difference. You have to think about the way that we build throughout the whole country when we're creating parts. So like I know when I was a design 
engineer in California, I was very like focused on the CBC. I was designing buildings in California. I didn't really think much beyond that. So like when we make a part in order to make it be useful in all parts of the country, even, you know, now we're starting, we're global now, but to think about things like that, you really have to make the part meet the needs of so many different building types, building norms, you know, like everybody sort of does things a little bit differently in different parts of the country. And, you know, we have Canada and like you have to convert it over to different units. Like it gets a little bit, you know, beyond California. The process is basically like we try to obviously stay ahead of the needs so that when something is needed, we kind of already have a solution. But when that doesn't happen, I mean, we have like a huge sales force of people that are out like in the field talking to customers all the time, getting feedback, hearing what their frustrations are when they don't have a solution for something. And so that information will come back to us. And within Simpson, you know, again, we have lots of engineers. Some of us are more customer facing, like we're the ones that are are helping the people with questions in the moment. And then there's a whole other R&D section of our engineers that work on creating these new parts. So once those ideas all funnel up and get vetted and, you know, there's some work that goes into them, we have project managers that vet it out, see if it's going to be like kind of a viable building component that we want to pursue. And and then it like, you know, goes through the whole R&D process. There's lots of testing. There's lots of calcs. There's lots of meetings. There's lots of everything. And then eventually you come up with a part and you launch it and, you know, you're going to cross your fingers. Hope it's received well. It's a really in-depth kind of strenuous like process to get a part to the finish line. And when you do, it feels really good. I imagine the testing that has to go into it, the concept, and not only you have to make it good for the constructors or the people building it out there, but also the engineers too, for them to easily spec it out and see what the values are, the load capacities. And I remember we were talking to guests, they were just going over some of the patenting and the whole process. So it was probably with different countries too. It was like, oh man, that takes a long time. And it's not just making a product, launching it. It's all this other stuff that goes into it. And it's good to know that there's different roles, a lot of roles for engineers in the sales team, sales engineers, but also the research and development part too, or you're actually testing stuff. I know some engineers are really interested in, in that aspect of it. And that's something that you wouldn't get in a private design firm, right? I think that's a unique opportunity that opens up to different career paths. So that was really interesting. I feel like that is one really cool thing. It it provides a lot of opportunity, right? I think being a big company, you know, we have some of the best testing facilities and having access to those is amazing. So when you are going through these processes and you're doing all this testing and you see what goes into it and then same thing, you know, you kind of are working backwards because as the engineer, like, you know, I can go into the CBC and I can calculate, okay, people are going to have these types of shear loads, these types of drag loads, these types of whatever with buildings that we're doing based on the loading and the requirements. And so we know like we, if we're going to make a part, it needs to get this much allowable load or people can't use it, you know, and we have to look into it to say like, if we want them to buy it, we need it to be within this cost range, right? So we have to be able to produce it for that amount of money. So there's things the whole time that you do to tweak a part as you're developing it that don't have 
always to do with structural engineering. You know, like sometimes they have to do with other aspects of business. So you get to dabble in that a little bit. And then always it has to come back to like, is it going to meet our design loads? Is it going to be useful for the customer? But, you know, we have to be able to make it. We have to be able to source it. We have to be able to make it for a certain cost. It has to be what people need. There's a lot that goes into it. And you mentioned that you did the transition from private to manufacturing. I guess what attracted you to the manufacturing side uh, from the design side for people that are, I think the most popular is design side, but then showing people that there's different options and what were some of those things that drew you towards manufacturing? In college, I think one of the reasons that I'm really passionate about kind of showing people that there are alternatives to design firms as a career is that like when I was in college, I thought that that's what I would end up doing, but I didn't know that I necessarily wanted to do that. Uh, There was a part of me that for my personality, it just didn't feel like that was something I could do for a whole career. And so when Simpson Strong Tie used to come to Cal Poly and they were really involved, I would kind of pick their brain about like, what do you do? How does it work? Like different things like that, you know? And I always thought that sounded like something that I would like to do. I'd like to go out and meet with customers. I'd like to, you know, just be out in the field more. There were some other people I went to school with that also got, say, like a minor in construction management. And then they went like that route because they didn't want to be in the design firm either. They would kind of go out and be like the engineer in the field. So I knew I wanted to do something sort of like that. And I think that just the more and more I kind of like learned about Simpson and then the more and more I used it as a design engineer, it was something that always sort of I was drawn to. I liked the company. I liked that there were different aspects of it. So like you could get involved in marketing, you could get involved in product management. I felt like it was just, again, maybe it's because it's a big company or what, but I just felt like there were a lot of like possible paths, which I loved. And Karen Colonius um, was our most recent CEO that just retired. And when I would hear her talk about her career path, I was just like so excited because she talked about just kind of zooming all over the place and she started as an engineer. So I always found it really inspirational that like there were other options out there. And granted, you know, I'm 12 years in and I'm still in engineering because I (laughs) haven't made that jump. But like I just having the option or the opportunity was just really appealing to me. What were some of the career paths that you were talking about? I guess when you saw all the different career paths, you were saying, oh, I could do this. I could do that. I could use my skills for this. For engineers that are looking for different career path options, what were the ones that you saw? Since joining Simpson, I did go and I got my MBA. And so like, again, like if I were to use Karen as an example, right? So she was like an R&D engineer. Then I think I, I might be missing some steps, but she was like VP of engineering She went over and became a branch manager, which is like, you know, she ran basically the whole facility in Stockton, which covers the whole northwest of the U.S. So she did that. That was like a big jump, right? Leaving engineering. From there, she went over and I think she became the CFO, I want to say. And then she became the CEO. So like, I'm not saying CEO is my goal, but like when I was in college, I never would have imagined like as an archie major graduating, like, oh, I could be the CEO of a huge global manufacturing company. Like it didn't like dawn on me, you know? So just having that as an option or seeing it, right? Even just seeing it, you can visualize different things for yourselves. So within Simpson now, like we do a lot of development of our own employees. And so like 
we have a whole outreach focus. You know, we all have outreach coordinators and we do a lot to reach out with students and people like that in the industry. And I'm super passionate about that. I love that. So like, who knows, maybe I'll go into outreach or, you know, product management. It's like you work really closely with the engineers, but you take the product through that whole R&D process to like get it to the finish line. Like that's super interesting to me. So no plans are changing right now, but, you know, it's a possibility. And Simpson totally encourages that, which is cool. That's one thing Simpson does extremely well, the outreach, because they're in front of uh, structural engineering students from the time they're students, from their Simpson Strong Tie competitions in school. And then when you enter the industry, any structural engineering event, you're going to see the reps there, you know, with the lunch and learns and everything. So it's their marketing is great because they're always like top of mind because anytime I go to a structural engineering event, I'll see someone familiar from Simpson Strong Tie or see one of the reps there. And they're always there and they're always supporting. So I think it's the outreach is great. That's one of the things that makes such a strong tie comes out. That's just one of the things I've noticed. So it was really good. Well, I'm glad to hear that you noticed it because it is definitely something that like I pride us on and like I'll get a phone call from, you know, a first or second year design engineer and they're like, oh, I have this question and like, I didn't know who to ask. And I just was like, oh, I'll call the Simpson person. And I'm like, yeah, call us. Like, we can totally try to help you. You know, that's what we want to do. So being that little, you know, voice in their ear and always offering help and support, it I think it's a benefit. So I'm a big proponent. How was the transition like going from design firm to a larger one? How you would say maybe the change in work culture or dynamics or projects? Because you said you were doing more customer oriented. I guess, was it more project based? Or are you all over the place? Or I guess, yeah, because, you know, in design firm, it's next deadline, next deadline, next deadline for the project. How is it like for a manufacturing firm? So within Simpson, I would say there's like, and I can only speak really for the two roles that I've had, but I would say there's two sort of paces, right? So like I should back up really quickly. Like when I say transitioning to a big firm, it's funny because Simpson is a really big company. Uh, we're publicly traded. We're international. We're a big company. Granted, it's grown a lot just in the 12 years that I've been here, but our company culture it's so special for starters, but we act like we're a little company. So it's kind of weird because we're not. I think because of its roots being kind of like a mom pa, like, you know, we started out of San Leandro and grew from there. When I was younger uh, or younger, when I first joined Simpson and Barkley was still alive, like I've met him, you know, like the owner of the company where it's just like he's not some like mystical person that started this huge company way back in the day or whatever. You know, he's like very human, like everybody's very human. So everybody's on first name basis. And it's very like, oh, you don't know that. Give this guy a call. And like, we're all very friendly. And so it, the culture of it is just we act like we're a small company still, even though we're not. So the transition of like a smaller design firm to working at Simpson was actually not terribly different. There are some things that every once in a while I'm like, oh, yeah, we're a big company, you know, like and it's just like a little reminder, but it doesn't feel like that. How does the workflow go for design firms? It's project deadline. We got to do a submittal. But how does it for manufacturing? I'm sure there's is it deadlines for products or meetings, et cetera. So two different things, right? So when you're at the branches, which is like 
So we have a, you know, again, this is like our culture, our home office. We don't call it our corporate office, our home office. That kind of like does all of the, if you will, more corporate-y things that services all of our branches. That's how we're set up. And then our branches service the customers. If you are an engineer working for a branch and you're kind of like customer facing, you are in a very fast paced environment. So people call you, they have an issue, there's projects happening out in the field. It's very fast, right? Like people need quick turnarounds. It's just very fast paced. If you are an engineer at our home office working like more on like the R&D side of things, it's a longer term project, right? So like if you're in the R&D design for this certain product, it could take a year or two to get to the finish line. It tends to have like a different pace because there's just so many other like little details involved. So it really depends on the role that you're in. It can vary. Did you have any, I guess, final advice for structural engineers that are maybe considering that career path option? Any advice from your experience? If you, as like a younger engineer or, you know, a college student, something like that, if you're interested, I mean, I can't speak for every manufacturing firm, obviously, but Simpson, it's such a great resource for you to kind of investigate if this is something that you're interested in, right? Like we always have interns, we have scholarship. I mean, another cool thing that we do is we have scholarships that we give out, right? And the winners are offered a trip to the Bay Area. We bring them to the Bay Area for a week. It's super fun. And we show them all about our company, like take them around, do a little sightseeing and fun stuff also. But there's so many opportunities to pick our brains. And I mean, I've never met somebody at Simpson that wouldn't be more than happy to talk about it or answer questions. Or I think you know this, Matt, too. But like, I mean, we offer people to come into our facilities to tour them. I mean, we want to show off what we have, if you will, you know, like, so I would say if you're interested, reach out to me. I'm happy to answer questions. And I know anybody else at Simpson would be too, but it is different. And you know, everybody's different too. So some people, it's a great match. I imagine there's lots of other people that would not like it. It just depends. Before we go on here, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the FE and PE exams. PPI provides expert prep courses and study resources designed to help you pass the FE and PE exams the first time. PPI's live online courses include hours of lectures, problem-solving demonstrations, exam strategy sessions, office hours, and a passing guarantee. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for FE and PE exam prep. You know I didn't stay in the design world for as long as you've obviously been in it now, right? So in the private structural engineering design industry, what would you say are some key considerations that if you're looking to advance in your career and things like that, like what would be key considerations if you're at a structural engineering firm? Yeah, I've been in with the engineering firms for a while and I, I decided to stay in the private design industry. How many years are you now? Eight years in for I have a design firm designing buildings. So that's the industry I'm in. And you've been same company the whole time? Yes. I've had different internships though before. So my experience was my different internship experiences. And this kind of helped me make the decision. I've worked for the city uh, as an intern. I've worked for smaller design firm offices. And for me, that's one of the things that made me want to go into private uh, design. It's because I really like the responsibility of it. You get to learn a lot. You get to learn from beginning to end how a project works and you get a role in that whole process. So that's one of the things that 
I still love about the private design industry is there's a lot of responsibility, but there's a lot of reward to it as well. And I think as a newer engineer, one of the things that could help you advance your career, it's really learning about the codes and getting technically. I think the first five years, even, I would say getting technically really good is really important because I think as you're progressing throughout your career, I think in anything, any career is how can you help your manager or how can you help your firm in general? So how can you help your manager? Hey, it's doing those calcs really well, doing them more efficiently, uh, making sure they're accurate, getting into the codes and yeah, being an engineer and get into the technical things, know how to design things and get better at it and making sure that they're accurate. So gain the trust of uh, your managers on knowing how to design things and knowing when to ask questions when you don't know they're right. Did you feel like the first like five years you were just like, I'm going to get a sound technical base knowledge? That was your main focus. First three years for sure, technical focus. And then I started to get into more of the management side a couple years in after I got my PE. Within your firm, is it sort of like once you get your PE, they'll kind of start to transition you into a lead or how does that work? For my firm, it's what the employees want. For me, I made it clear to my managers like, hey, I want to get into a management role. I want to get some experience. Could you start me off on a really small project? Let me manage that. For me, that's how I built up my skills. And that's how we try to do it, right? In terms of baby steps. So you want to be a manager? Okay, let's start you off with this and build the skills from there. That's how I eventually became a project manager. And when you're a project manager at your firm, you're managing the project, but are you also managing then other engineers that are working on that project with you? Yes. We're a fairly big company, I think 300 plus employees across the, the country, but the office I'm in, we're pretty small. I think we only have about like 10 to 12 people. So for us, we do have engineers that help us out, project engineers. So yeah, it is managing the project, but also managing my engineering team isn't huge. I don't have 10 people. So it's one or two engineers per project. So that's, it's managing. It's still something, but it's not a huge team. The more people you manage, the less engineering you get to do, right? So if you want to be involved in both, you can't have a huge team. Like if you want to still have some of that technical responsibility. Okay, so you were a few years in, got your PE, discussed that with your manager in terms of like where you wanted to go with your career. Obviously, they worked with you on that. But now like you're in that role. Are you now reciprocating that? Like, do you have engineers that are working for you that are going to pass their PE and saying, hey, Matt, I also want to be in a management role? Like, how does that work? I think that's a big part of that back and forth relationship with project engineer to manager, because it is something that uh, we discuss because we want to help you get you there. Yeah, I've had that happen where engineers want to transition into management. And I kind of have a mentorship session with them and, okay, here's how I did it. And here's, if you want to get that role, here are the things that you should do. And one of the things I tell them is, yeah, start off with a small project, speak with your manager, if they can give you a, a smaller project to start off on and help you succeed in that. And then we go over the, the roles and responsibilities. Okay, what skills are you lacking? Maybe you can communication with clients. I think a lot of the things are the soft skills too. Can you communicate with clients clearly? And do you know what they want, how to treat them and how to treat uh, everybody on the team to help them succeed? 
maybe your email communication needs more improvement, verbal communication, maybe some public communication classes so you can speak confidently in front of the client and whatnot. Because those are the skills that you need as a manager. You may not have it straight out of the gate out of engineering school. So we work on a lot of the skills, uh, things like that. And that's one of the things that we need to communicate, though, is you want to be a manager. Here's what you need to do. Let's help get you there. What skills do you need? But if some engineers don't want to pursue that route, how else can we do to help you grow with the company? Maybe if you really love calcs, hey, here are some things that we can have you look into. Maybe better spreadsheets, better testing out new programs, having more efficient systems that we could use to help us out as a firm. So that back and forth communication definitely helps because not everybody wants the same thing. Not everybody wants to be the the CEO. So if that's not the case, how do we fit you into the company so we can all help the team in you know the overall mission of the company? It's interesting that you say that because I know we're like in kind of like different worlds of the engineering realm. But it's funny because I think so many of those things that you mentioned in terms of like growth and things like that, it's all the same things that at Simpson, we're all asking those same questions too. You know, like if you find somebody that's good, you want to know where their interests lie and you want to keep them moving forward in their direction. Simpson has so many positions too. And I think as a structural engineering industry, it's pretty typical when you go to different types of firms in the private design industry. They kind of have the same process and positions, but I do think there is room for making more positions or doing some more positions because, yeah, not everybody wants to be the CEO or whatnot. Maybe there's different types of roles that they could do that may not exist. Maybe that position doesn't exist, right? So maybe someone doesn't want to be the design person. Maybe they could make a, a new role uh, such as QC person or a trainer or, or something like that. There's room. I feel like I hear that so often from so many different engineers that I talk to. Design for manufacturing, I mean, even people that we've had on the show that are in different areas of engineering also, you know, knowing what is needed knowing where your interests lie. And it's almost like you have to go and create that position, you know, job craft or what, you know, all the different words that they have out there. But I think that's totally true. You know, again, any industry we're progressing and we can't just stay stuck with the same roles and positions that we've had for the last 50 years. Like things are changing, you know, and we have to kind of change with them. So and in a way, it opens up a lot more opportunities for people, which is exciting. So you talked a lot about the career growth and past and how you can help each other. But like within your company, are there specific strategies that they use? Or is it like when you say like, let's get you some help on this soft skill? Is there like internal training for you guys? Or is it like external training? Or like, how do you guys sort of approach all of that? Yeah, we try to do internal training. And for us, we have processes that we try to, I think that's one of the things that we're working on is getting better training, getting internal training. We have it, but I think we can always do better in terms of training. And that's what we're doing a trial and error on is, okay, let's try this out. Do these trainings work? Or maybe we need to focus on another skill. I say that's a bigger company-wide thing where we're trying to help all the offices to get better, get better training. And that's one component of it. But then there's also, if we get into like the micro, let's just say in SoCal offices or in my office, I think a big part of it comes into your relationship with your manager and your project engineer, because 
when I sit down with somebody, it's customized for that person and their personality and their skills. Okay, based on your personality and your skills, how do we get you to where you want to be? As you can see, that's that's tough on a, a big corporate level. Take a project management class, you're good. I think that helps, but when it really gets helpful is when you sit down one-on-one with that person and that relationship, the pros and cons or the strengths and weaknesses of that person. How do we tailor that your skills to where you want to go? I think that's the most helpful thing. And that's not an official process. I think that's hard to do, but I think it comes down to your relationship with your manager and how crafting a plan together on how to, to get you there. I want to backtrack for a second and ask one other question from that I meant to ask earlier. But you were talking about how you sort of got into that management role and started with a small project after you got your PE. Did anything change again after you got your SE? Change in terms of uh, promotions or? Is that when they like give you more complicated projects or like is there like some sort of a adjustment at that point? You know, like how you get your PE and you were able to take on a small project as managing that and then like you get your SE all of a sudden, do they hand you a hospital project? How does that happen? I think for that one, yeah, it didn't really change in terms of the projects I was getting. Getting my SE, I think it's more of a long-term thing in terms of uh, you're more marketable to your company, probably in promotions or whatnot. So that's one thing. And long-term as well, if you wanted to switch industries, that SE will help you get into almost any company. So I think that's a huge thing personally for your professional career growth. But yeah, I didn't really see anything in terms of you can't work on this project because you don't have your SE. So in terms of that, I, it may be different with other companies, but for us, it was kind of just um, didn't really matter because they trusted you already with your technical skills. But I would say it made me a better manager because I can help the new engineers better. I'm a lot more technically competent and know where all the resources are, where they are in the code. So it's a lot easier for me to be a manager because I can help out the team more in terms of the technical resources. So that's been a big plus. Can you share like some more specific examples, if you will? Because I know we've been talking a lot of like general sort of broad stuff, how your company uh, prepares individuals for the next step. Is there anything like specific that they do? I'll go over how I prepared someone to be a manager. And this isn't a company-wide thing. Like I said, it's the relationship with your manager and how they want to help you. So for me, I sat down, we went over their goals, and we came up with a game plan. You want to be a manager, let's see how you do with this project. So I worked with our principals to get them a, a smaller project, and I'd be there to help them out. It's not, here's a project, let's see if you good on it by yourself, you know? Like sink or swim? Sink or swim, it's like... I don't like that. I, I hate the sink and swim concept. I don't think it's good for the industry. So for me, it was like, hey, here's a new project. I'm going to let you take the reins. You answer all the emails, but come to me if you have any questions. You want me to look over your email that you're sending out? If it's worded correctly, I'm there to help. You have a client interaction that didn't go too well. I can hop on the call and, and help out as well. It's not... Uh, yeah, coming up with a game plan on here's a specific project, but hey, I'm there to help you succeed because we don't want to put you in a position where you're set up to fail. I think that's one of the worst things that you could do. So it's here's the things that I do. If you need me to step in and help out, 
I'm there and I'm there to coach, basically coach. How are you responding to emails? How are you responding to clients? Even the financial aspects of things, charging additional services. One of those things is like those soft skills, like, hey, you're going to charge someone money and what if they don't take it well? Like, yeah, here's how you explain it better. Explain to the client why we're doing an additional service, X, Y, Z. So it's not as um, nickel and diming, I guess, or they get offended. So it's a lot of those uh, soft skills that you could do. And then, yeah, performance review. So then they go to their their principal and then showing them how to market themselves. Your principals don't know what you're doing because this can kind of go in every direction. Every industry is like, you need to learn how to market yourself to your principals, your managers, because they all have their own lives. They're not scrutinizing you on what you're doing every day. It's no, when you go to those, those reviews or, or whatnot, you got to learn how to market yourself. You've been volunteering in the ACE program or some type of volunteer work, put that on your review letter or whatnot. Even the emails and interactions that you have with clients, you did a really good job on one particular part of the project. The client was enthusiastic and they sent you like a really cool thank you email, put that in your review. If you were taking public speaking classes, put that in your review, like show them what you're doing because you want to get to that next position and put numbers to it too. If your project was profitable, do it. If you made a trading program for the company and that people were using it, put some numbers to that. You saved X amount of hours to of training because you made this video or, or whatnot, learning how to market yourself. So as a manager, then, will you remind your team to do that for you? Because obviously you can't keep track of everything. I mean, I understand that. I know when people are going for promotions and whatnot, it's, here was a proposal that we got that it's your client, put it on there. It's like, this client liked working with you and they gave us another offer or another proposal to bid on. That's you. You kept that relationship up. You just made the company $20,000 because they liked working with you. Put that in your next review letter. You made the company $20,000. <laughs> yeah, mention that. The weakest one is like, hey, I've been with this company for X amount of years. Give me a raise. It's like, yeah, but what value are you really bringing? Oh, you went. One of the quickest things that I tell uh, new employees, if you want to get to that next position, look at that job description of that next position. All those responsibilities, if you're already doing those and you're doing those well, that's the easiest way to get promoted is just do all those things already. And that's how you get promoted. Do them and do them well and, and talk to your manager and how to are you for those. So I guess more of the marketing stuff, it's not natural. It's when I talk to them, it's kind of like, well, shouldn't they already know I'm doing, you know, I'm working late and I'm taking these classes and I'm doing this for the clients. Like, no, nobody knows. Even I don't know that you were doing that stuff. How do you expect them to know? So you got to bring it up and market yourself. I mean, everybody is kind of consumed what they themselves are doing, right? So you just wrongly assume that your manager knows everything that you're doing, but that's not the case. And even if they do in the moment, I mean, they're not keeping track of it when it comes to that like conversation or whatever, you know? So it's better if you're just responsible for yourself, bring it forward, present all the good things. That's great advice. How does a private structural engineering design firm, like in your opinion, differ in terms of career growth opportunities compared to other sectors. What are your thoughts on that? The private design firm industry, I think you'll learn a lot because you're probably going to be in a small to medium-sized firm where you're going to be doing all the work. 
maybe from the beginning, from conceptual design to design development, to construction documents, to permitting, all the way to construction support. So I think it's great for seeing how the industry works, how buildings get built, how they get designed. And it's fast-paced. Uh, there's lots of deadlines. And that's probably one of the things that I compare similar to school, where, where yeah, you can have some weeks that are design design, but then when those finals come up, that's when you start cramming. And the same thing with uh, project deadlines. You got a deadline, you got to do it until it's done. So that's, I'd say, one of the things uh, to be aware of. It could get uh, sporadic where it's okay, but then deadlines, which I think students are used to during finals. So <laughs> it's that and it has similar pacing to that. Like you said, there's lots of different sectors and different industries. I can't really comment about them personally, but yeah, from talking to different people in the industries, I think that's one of the biggest differences is that that really fast-paced deadline projects. So I think that's one of the things that separates it, but you do learn a lot. I mean, that's one of the things that I love about it. I always get new projects that I'm interested in, that they're interesting. And yeah, that's one of the things that I love about the private industry is that there's still new projects. Every project is different. And I love seeing uh, the work that I do from paper sample calcs to seeing it get built. And until I get tired of that, I still plan to be here. Do you think there's any like unique challenges or what you would say professionals need to be aware of if they were seeking a job or even like an advancement at a design firm? Because design firms are the same, but they're different. I'd say the best advice that's kind of broad is knowing how you can help your managers. So in my career path, it was, how do I help my manager? So for me, it was learning how to work with spreadsheets, how to model things in, you know, ETABS, RISA, design software, getting really good at that. So that way, whenever they had something that was like, they're working on managing their projects, how do I help them out? I'll help them out with the design work. I'll be really good at that. And so they can build that trust with them. And then when you have that trust where they can just be, hey, Matt, just take this on and I'll review your work. I trust you to design this and I trust your judgment and I trust you to come with me with questions. That way they can focus on their management work, you know, go attending design meetings. So the better I am at that, the better I can help them out. And then you get promoted and then now it's the next level. For me right now, I'm a project manager. How can I help my associate principals? So seeing what their problems are and how can I help them? Okay. I'll take on this new project and I'll manage it. I'll bring you in when I have questions. But for the most part, they can get a project and just give it to me. I'll run the show. They can focus on principal stuff, uh, business development stuff. Or I'll work on the project management because that helps them. But also working in helping them out, but also seeing what their duties are. Because as principals, they have their own duties, right? Or managers, we have our own duties. So it's doing, helping them out, but also getting some of their responsibilities too, because they're responsible for, let's say, business development. What can I do to help with that? So not only are you helping them out, but to help prepare yourself for that next step, seeing what their responsibilities are. It's like if you're doing what's on that job description and doing it well, then it'll be easy for you when you go for that next step. Yeah. So it's getting that trust and then also seeing what that next level that you want to go to, whatever that next position is, build the skills for that. I know in project management, public speaking was 
I wasn't comfortable speaking in front of clients. So I, I worked on that. And then once I demonstrated that I could do those types of skills, you're already doing it. So what's the problem? That was like super informative. I, I mean, it's been a hot minute since I've been in a design firm. So a uh, good recap on what it's like. So thank you. Thanks, Rachel, as well. I think that there's lots of career paths in structural engineering. I think manufacturing is one of them. So thanks. This was great. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel. We hope you found our discussion on the different career paths within the field of structural engineering insightful. Whether you're considering opportunities in the manufacturing sector or aiming to grow within a design firm, understanding the pros and cons, growth aspects, unique opportunities each path offers is crucial. We appreciate you joining us today. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast for more episodes dedicated to keeping you up to date on technical trends in the field and helping you succeed in your career and life as a structural engineering professional. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.